Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. What's up? Oh, you know, just ready to talk about this movie. I am too. Very much excited. I am very excited. I'm excited for this whole series because we are going to be talking about some heavy hitters. Yeah, I'm super stoked. I think this is one of the um, series that kind of was in my head from the beginning of starting Dead Zone. So I'm excited to be tackling these big movies. These are some big titles. They really are. So I say we get right to it. If you say so. <laughs> I'll take your advice. Let's do it. Well, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we wanted to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it because, oh yeah, the theater moves around a lot, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are starting a month-long series we call Summer Blockbusters, where we watch some of the biggest horror flicks to hit the big screen over the hottest months of the year, driving us out of the heat and into the theater seats. And today we are talking about the 2013 smash hit, The Conjuring. This is a huge movie. I remember them touting this as kind of like, oh man, horror's back. You yeah, know? yeah. It was kind of like this resurgence of, of just these really great horror movies. Really well done horror movies, I guess I should say. And, uh, oh. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm super stoked to get into it. I think just kind of like what you said, this movie is the beginning of a huge universe, a huge series. Um, I'm sure we'll eventually cover the whole series in, in full, um, but I'm excited just to kick off with the uh, the big daddy, the original, the OG. <laughs> the OG. But of course, before we do that, now's the time that I should warn you that we are going to spoil things because that's what we do. So if you want to take a minute to go and watch the movie, we do know that it's on Netflix and HBO Max right now. Um, I think we both did. You, you saw that HBO Max, it was kind of temporary. Well, they're getting ready to lose it in, in like four days. Okay. So your best bet is going to be on uh, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's such a fun watch. So if uh, you haven't seen it already... We definitely recommend doing so. If if you're not, I know some people are just this this type of horror is not everyone's jam, and so I know a lot of people will stray away, and that's fine. I totally get it. We're gonna tell you everything you need to know here, anyways. So stick around. We're doing it. Things are about to get conjured. <laughs> we are gonna conjure ourselves a good time. We're gonna conjure some shit up. So before we get to the wiki and start talking about the movie, I I gotta kind of. Put this little disclaimer in there. It just needs to be said, and then we're going to move forward. 
I enjoy this movie very much. Every time I watch it, I think I like it a little bit more. However, I do have a problem with the backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people know that this is very loosely based on a true story of a ghost investigation that was performed by Ed and Lorraine Warren. There is a lot of information from that story that they presented as factual, and it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We talked about a lot on our other podcast, Creepy Caffeine, and the reason why I had an issue with it is because she took someone's real name, a woman that existed, and created this mythology that is absolutely not true, and it's Sully's, the name of a real person who is living, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is Bathsheba Sherman. And uh, so I have an issue with that. However, I do have to say this film was wonderfully done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so we are here to talk about that. So I'm not going to talk about all that other good stuff. I just want to talk about how much we enjoyed watching this. Yeah. And I think if you guys do want to learn more about the actual story, it's very interesting. It's one that I didn't know when I first saw this movie. Um so we encourage you to go either do the, do your own research or like Whitney said, we do cover it. Um, we had a episode 15 dedicated to that story and another one. So go check that one out if, if you want to learn more about the actual history. It's very interesting. Yeah. And, and I think most of us realize that when these people say that these are based on a true story, uh, I hope we all realize that that means pretty loosely. Mm-hmm. All right. Enough of that. So let's get to the wiki. So The Conjuring is a 2013 American supernatural horror film directed by James Wan. The film stars Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Lily Taylor, and Ron Livingston. Development of the film began in January 2012 and was temporarily titled The Warren Files, but was later retitled The Conjuring, centering on the alleged real-life exploits of Ed and Lorraine Warren, a married couple who investigated paranormal events. In the first installment of the franchise, the Warrens come to the assistance of the Perrin family, who experienced increasingly disturbing events in their farmhouse in Rhode Island in 1971. Marketing for the film began in November 2012. Throughout the campaign, the film was promoted heavily as based on a true story, and in the weeks leading up to the film's release, trailers and TV spots began to feature the real-life Perrin family. This was followed by a featurette titled The Devil's Hour, in which Lorraine Warren and other paranormal investigators explain some of the supernatural occurrences seen in the film. In March 2013, the film was given an R rating by the MPAA for basically being just too damn frightening. According to executive producer Walter Hamada, quote, when we asked them why they gave us the R rating, they basically said, it's just so scary. There are no specific scenes or tone you could take out to get it PG-13, end quote. The Conjuring was initially intended to be released in early 2013, but studios decided on a summer release date after gaining a positive reception from test audiences. The film was ultimately released on July 19th in North America and in the United Kingdom and in India on August 2nd. Because of this, it is one of the first horror films to receive a wide release in the United States during the months of June or July since 2006's remake of The Omen. 
The film would go on to gross $41.9 million in its opening weekend, landing in first place and breaking The Purge's record as the biggest opening for an original R-rated horror film. After its run in theaters, the film was officially named a box office hit, grossing over 15 times its production budget with a worldwide total of $318 million. The Conjuring was not only a commercial and financial success, but a critical one as well. Review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes reports an 86% approval rating, while CinemaScore reported audiences gave the film an A- grade on a scale of A to F, and that it was the first horror film to receive such a high grade. But not all critics were able to conjure up a good review. Andrew O'Hare of Salon said the film provided all the scream-inducing shocks you could want right on schedule, but thought the central concept that the innocent women accused and executed in the Salem witch trials were actually witches who slaughtered children and pledged their love to Satan was reprehensible and inexcusable bullshit. The success of The Conjuring has spawned several related films and sequels. Along with the original film, there is 2016's The Conjuring 2, and the latest release, which is out now, The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It. Three films about the Annabelle doll from the film have been made, 2014's Annabelle, its prequel, Annabelle Creation, from 2017, and a sequel to both films, Annabelle Comes Home, from 2019. Two other films featuring supernatural threats first seen in The Conjuring films include The Nun, released in 2018, and The Crooked Man, which is currently still in development. All right, well, jumping into the synopsis real quick, it says, In 1970, paranormal investigators and demonologists Lorraine and Ed Warren are summoned to the home of Carolyn and Roger Perrin. The Perrins and their five daughters have recently moved into a secluded farmhouse where a supernatural presence has made itself known. Though the manifestations are relatively benign at first, events soon escalate in a horrifying fashion, especially after the Warrens discover the house's macabre history. Well, all right, here we go. Are you ready? I am ready to get into this. Well, we get some creepy, tinkly trumpets, if, if trumpets can be tinkly, over the Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema logos, and then we hear a girl named Debbie begin to tell her story to Ed and Lorraine Warren. And the first image we see to kick off this entire franchise is the cracked eye of Annabelle the doll. And it's terrifying. Just that eye alone is creepy. It, it's super creepy. It is even... If you see Annabelle the movie and and you get to see her in her pristine state uh, before she was all creepy like still was just not a doll. I would just she's not cuddly or yeah she doesn't look friendly. It's not no. like something I want to give my kids for sure. It, it has a lot to do with those really straight bangs. I think yeah <laughs> they're, they're a lot and the beady eyes too much. Ooh, she's a lot. Rest the face, girl. Give it a minute. You're scaring me. Well, we learn that this is indeed the Annabelle case that Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated in 1968, and Debbie and her roommate, Camilla, are explaining how the doll mysteriously moves and ends up in different places from where she was left. They learn from a medium that a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle had died in the very apartment where they were now living, and that little girl's spirit took a liking to the doll. So they just went right ahead and gave her permission to enter it. Why not? 
welcome them in. God damn it, Debbie. <laughs> now you've gone and done it. In my head, I, I picture that Debbie gave it options. Like, there's the stall, or a toaster, or the shoe. Choose whichever one you want to <laughs> live in. Well, of course, things went downhill fast, and Annabelle starts leaving them little notes and redecorates the living room with red crayon. It's a choice. It's rude. <laughs> Should have asked. Honestly. I mean, you have roommates. Get opinions. Exactly. You can't just go off and do what you want. You need to check in with everybody, see where they're at. Maybe red's not even their favorite color, girlfriend. It, possibly not. It's it's time for a roommate meeting. Yeah. Well, obviously, this was the wrong choice because it has pushed Debbie over the edge and she marches Annabelle right down to the dumpster, uh, which leads to our first terrifying scene in this movie. I had completely forgotten about this scene and man, did it get me. It's a good one. So um, later that night, the girls are awoken to pounding on the front door. Mm -hmm. It is so loud. I would never answer the door to someone pounding like that are no, you kidding no way especially in the middle of the night i mean during the day it's our, it's already alarming it's like okay you're doing too much first off <laughs> we do soft knocks here only and you're doing hard knocks and i don't appreciate it but at in the middle of the night no 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 oh, unless you are a police officer there is no need and she doesn't even like go to the door and say like who's there no she just, just Yep, opens, opens it up. up. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, please stab me in face. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> I was expecting you. We have pie. <laughs> well, she opens the door to find another sweet note from Annabelle. It does. It says something like "Miss me" or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they just had a misconnection. Uh, <laughs> she just wants an opportunity to get in touch again. Yeah, she's just lonely. And I get it. Sometimes it happens. Everyone needs someone. <laughs> uh, well, Debbie turns around uh, and is all like, what the fuck to Camilla? <laughs> when all of a sudden there's a pounding on the door right next to where Camilla is standing. Mm -hmm. And son of a bitch. <sighs> scared the shit out of me. It's so good. It's so loud. <laughs> uh, well, of course, guess who's there when Camilla opens the door. So. Obviously, the girls are terrified uh, and want the Warrens to help. So Ed and Lorraine explain there is no Annabelle. Uh, ghosts don't possess this kind of power. So this is an inhuman spirit. And they just got tricked into letting it take over the doll because it ultimately wanted to possess one of them. Well, before we go any further, you know, I got to throw in the quirky facts when I find them. So there are actually three people sitting on the couch talking to mm -hmm. the Warrens, uh, the two roommates, and some random dude that never speaks a word. Mm -hmm. There's no explanation of who he is or why he's there. He's in none of the little flashbacks. with the, He's just sitting there looking troubled. Uh, well, this guy, his character's name is Rick, so he's important enough that they gave him a credit. He's played by actor Zach Pappas, and... He hasn't built up much of a creepy credit resume or anything, but he did star in a pretty damn funny fan film spoofing Friday the 13th called Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, I found it on YouTube on the channel Folks Next Door. It's just like a five minute little video. If you got five minutes to spend, go check it out. It's pretty funny. 
I'm sad you didn't show it to me. <laughs> I wanted to save it as a surprise. <laughs> well, next we see the Warrens at their real job lecturing about the supernatural. And the story we just watched was actually a film of the interview being played for the attendees. They allow the audience to ask questions, and we learn that A, Annabelle is quote-unquote somewhere safe, and B, that the Warrens are demonologists, ghost hunters, paranormal researchers, kooks, and wackos. Their words, not mine. All checks out. (laughs) Next, the screen does this freeze on their face, and it fades with this very retro effect into some text written in like a like a typewriter font, mm-hmm. like Courier New. That's <laughs> what it is. But it makes it look like a documentary film from the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's it's all to really push that based on a true story idea in your head. Because the more you think this is real, the scarier it'll be. Mm-hmm. But also it's just generally scary. So, I mean, I don't need that. Yeah, you don't need to tell me it's real. Yeah, this is a scary movie. In my head, I'm already convinced it's real, so <laughs> it's fine. You don't need to push it. Well, our text is telling us that the Warrens have been known as the world's most renowned paranormal investigators since the 60s. Lorraine is a clairvoyant, and Ed is the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. And out of the thousands of cases they've worked, there is one. So malevolent. They have kept it locked away until now. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it would have been even better if it had been read by Vincent Price. Oh, yeah, that would have been incredible. Oh, so good. Missed opportunities. <laughs> well, then, of course, they tell us that this is based on the true story, which is weird wording. I've always heard it as based on a true story, yeah. not the true story. Yeah. Like, is there more than one story? And they're like, no, this, this one here, this is the true story. (laughs) Those other ones, those aren't right, man. Come on. Come on. They're fakes. I mean. Well, next we are looking through a window and watching the Perrin family arrive in their station wagon with their gaggle of children. So many. They have like 20 girls. Yeah. All girls. So, so much. It's going to be a lot. So many kids, so many, so many hormones. Too much. (laughs) Well, they're just moving into the home, but Sadie the dog isn't having it. And look, if Sadie doesn't like it, you move on. Yeah. She looked at the school system for this neighborhood and it is terrible. They're really rude for not adhering to her advice. They should have listened. She's not only their dog, but also their financial advisor. And she's been telling them for weeks that this isn't a good idea. Bad investment. <laughs> well, the family enters the home and we first meet the oldest daughter, Andrea, and she bitches about not getting to pick her own room. So obviously this is our bitchy teenager and she will be unlikable until she's 18 and moves out of the house. And then sometimes they're still not likable. Sometimes. Me. <laughs> We also meet mom, Carolyn, played by Lily Taylor, who we just saw in the 1999 remake of The Haunting, and dad, Roger, who is played by Ron Livingston, who, I'm sorry, will always just be Peter from Office Space for me. No matter what role he plays, I will always just picture him saying, the thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy, it's just that I don't care. <laughs> I know that you're not the only one has that's commented on that. I know a lot really? of people. 
Yeah, I have just said it. That's all they can see this whole time. I mean, when you play an iconic role in an iconic movie, yeah, you have to accept. <laughs> it's not your fault. We don't blame you, but it's, it's just it is what it is. Well, next we get a fantastic one-shot take that goes on all the way from the moving truck out front and follows various family members through the chaos of unpacking uh, and going through to the back of the house, ending on daughter Cindy hanging her wind chimes on the back porch. This scene is highlighted by the song Time of the Season by the Zombies, and it's just great. It really is. I, I love everything about it. I do too. I actually made note of that uh, my second watch today. I just, I think that's like a perfect scene that kind of sets the tone for like a refreshing beginning. Like these, this family's trying to reset for whatever reason. Um, and this new place is, is meant to um, help that process go smoother for the family. And it's, I think it's a nice entry scene into what's quickly going to become chaos. But I still, I, I love it. I love that one shot. I love the song. It's, it's a really cool scene. Yeah, it's a fantastic way to very quickly endear a large group of people to your audience. Mm-hmm. You just see this very fast pace one shot it it almost because of the fact that it's one shot it almost makes it feel like you are there Uh and and going through all this chaos of this family working as a little family unit and putting things up but yet it's chaotic and everybody's trying to go different ways and it's it's just so charming Mm -hmm. and and a, a lovely way to introduce your family yeah i really enjoyed it well we then see youngest daughter april and she has found an old music box out by the ominous creepy tree and pond in the backyard so little april here is played by kyla deaver and she already has some nice creepy credits to her resume including bleed before i wake and along came the devil one and two well next we are introduced to the girls version of hide and seek which they call hide and clap The premise is pretty much the same as hide and seek, only after everyone is hidden, the seeker gets to ask all the hiders to clap up to three times uh, to narrow down their location. So daughter Christine is our seeker, and she is played by a very young Joey King. You recognized her right away. Yeah, and I I had completely forgotten that she was in this movie, but immediately, yeah, I noticed and I was like, I think it was maybe the hair or something, because I just didn't realize it and I've seen this movie multiple times by this point but yeah it wasn't until this watching that I was like oh that's Joey King so that was fun well Joey King has some heavy hitter creepy credits on her resume including quarantine slender man and even a couple episodes of R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour Uh, she also played Gypsy Rose Blanchard in the act which is of course a different kind of horror story Uh, but she also played Ramona Quimby in Ramona and Beezus, which is not creepy or horror related at all, but Ramona Quimby was one of my favorite book characters when I was in grade school. Me too. R.I.P. Beverly Cleary. Yeah. Sad. Sad. Thanks a lot, Joey King. You made us sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, throughout the gameplay, Christine ends up finding our last daughter to introduce, and that is Nancy, and she has been hiding in the closet. Uh, But when Christine finds her, she gets a little too rough 
uh, and knocks her sister into the wall. It immediately reminded me of Jennifer's body when <laughs> Needy and Jennifer have that weird little pushing scene. <laughs> like quarterback sacks her into the wall. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Well, it reveals a hidden cellar. And if someone has boarded up a room mm-hmm. in a home I just purchased that I had no idea existed, it was probably for a reason and we should stay out of said room. Or at the very least, and I made note about this, wait till the motherfucking daytime to go look at this place. They immediately is like, oh, let me get a match and tromp down. St-. No, you goob. That's <laughs> terrible. That's a bad idea. I would wait till it's daytime, the peak daytime, like sun's all the way out and we are all wearing sun shades inside. I also will use a flashlight. Yes. I will several. also, yes, wear glow in the dark clothing. <laughs> And invite the SWAT team over to help. Exactly. But no, he just, let me grab a match and check things out. Bad idea. No me gusta. Get out of here. (laughs) Well, of course, as you mentioned, Roger goes in to investigate and discovers it is indeed just a cellar with a bunch of furniture and boxes belonging to a previous owner. Well, later that night, Mom and Dad are upstairs getting ready for bed, and Sadie is still refusing to accept their new home and is outside barking at the house. But Mom and Dad decide to get freaky in their new home. There's nothing quite like the sounds of a barking dog to really get the mood going. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, first of all, the blatant disregard for Sadie's feelings is really starting to piss me off. Yeah, Sadie deserved more. She really did. We need a sequel just about Sadie. (laughs) A prequel because, um, well, Sadie has something to say and she's being ignored. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And all I have to say is the family gets what's coming to them. Mm -hmm. Someone has to speak for Sadie. Well, the next morning, (laughs) Carolyn gets up and notices she has a bunch of bruises on her arms and legs. Roger wonders if maybe they got a little too rough last night. I mean, I feel like... You should be a little more attentive to your partner's needs if you are unclear if you horribly bruised her during sex. You know, just check in every once in a while. Yeah. You good? Does that hurt? (laughs) I know we're wrestling, uh, (laughs) but are you okay? (laughs) Well, Carolyn makes her way downstairs to start breakfast. The girls have... Varied complaints. Christina and Nancy say the house is freezing, and Andrea wants to know why they couldn't have bought a house with a toilet that works. And something last night smelled like rotting flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, how many days until you're 18? Because I cannot get you out of this movie fast enough. (laughs) It's like everything she says, which I don't get me wrong, accurate depiction of a teenage girl. Yeah. And this is why we hate her. (laughs) We don't. Very strong word. I apologize. You're going through a lot, I understand. Many hormones. Well, Carolyn notices all the clocks in the house had stopped at 3.07. So that's weird, right? I don't like it. (laughs) I'll be up front. (laughs) It's disconcerting. I'll admit it. Not afraid to shy away from these things. Well, Roger is back down in the cellar going through everything, wondering if there are some nice antiques down there they could sell. Plus, he needs to get that heater going because it's freezing in the house. Well, next, Sadie is dead and I'm mad about it. Samesies. No explanation of how it happened. She's just dead. And we're mad about it. We are. We're angry. We paused it. We 
punched some walls, and we came back. We didn't really do that. But in my heart, that's what I did. And each time I was like, fuck you guys for killing Sadie. (laughs) R.I.P. Sadie. Rip Sadie. Rip Sadie. Have fun with Chip. (laughs) Sadie and Chip. Well, now we switch over to the Warrens' home, and Ed is in his den of horrors as he is being interviewed by a reporter. So this is Ed's home museum of haunted objects, supposedly some of the most dangerous and deadly objects known to man. We shouldn't have that in our home. We really should not. The entire time I was like, because they literally have to put like a padlock Mm -hmm. on the thing so the kid can't get it. Because, oh, yeah, they got a kid. Plot twist. (laughs) And she's caught in there and he has to, you know, tell her, now you can't come and play in daddy's fun room. He doesn't have a German accent. (laughs) I don't even know if that was a German accent. We just know that he didn't have it. (laughs) Uh, I'm saying, you know, rent a storage unit, my dude. This, you shouldn't have things that could kill your family in your home. Yeah. if If they were really that dangerous yeah he's like oh yeah by the way i have a whole room and i keep wild bears in there but don't go in there (laughs) just don't you see that lock stay out okay i don't need you investigating things in there (laughs) pay no attention to the bears go play with daddy's bees out in the garage don't ask why i keep these weird things it is my hobby i will collect what i want you can play with the cottonmouth snakes after dinner the bees are for now okay but all in all, stay out of the room with the toys that are very intriguing to little kids. <laughs> and how long did you practice juggling knives this weekend? Because you know we have that show in five days. I will not be embarrassed by you, young lady. You're sleeping on the guillotine tonight. It is what it is. <laughs> I don't care. I know you had to sleep on the bed of nails last night, but you made your choice. This is your bed, and you you have to sleep in it. (laughs) Now go feed the serial killer in the attic and shut your mouth. (laughs) You know, it's an odd parenting style, but it's a choice. (laughs) I mean, that girl was never out of line. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can I stay out past curfew? Well, let's ask Annabelle. What will she say, hmm? Sure, take Annabelle with you. She's like, never mind. I'll be home at eleven fifty-nine. She needs to branch out and make more friends. Do you let her sit with you at lunch? I told you, it's hard for her. <laughs> the kids make fun of the sores. <laughs> oh, that's too much. <sighs> okay, just. We just, we got to go. We got to move on. All right. Well, we learn through this interview that something happened to Lorraine during an exorcism that Ed blames himself for. That's all the info we get at this point. Also, we learn that Lorraine lights her coffee with sugar. Uh, So, of course, Ed is played by Patrick Wilson, who also stars in the Insidious franchise. Talk about a horror movie franchise gold. Mm -hmm. This guy stars in two of the biggest ones in recent years. Yeah, yeah. Great movies, both of them. And, of course, Lorraine is played by Vera Farmiga, who was also in one of your favorite horror movies, Orphan. Yes, yes. I love that movie. Which they just announced they're doing a sequel, right? Yeah, I believe so, which I'm equally excited for. I'm interested to see what they do because, you know, 
we already know the twist. Yeah, yeah, I know. I couldn't remember if it was a prequel or a sequel. Either way, I'm pretty excited uh, just because it's been so long uh, since the original came out. I didn't know that there was ever intentions to do another, so I'm excited. I'm interested to see where they take it. Me too. Well, later that night, back at the parents' house, we see the clock stop at 3.07 a.m. again, and two of the girls are sleeping in bed when something unseen yanks on Christine's foot. No. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) See, that's when you're in the, uh, do you have to sleep with blankets on feet or off feet? On. Off. On. Always off. Nope. You can't get the the hot feet when you sleep. (sighs) Between this and paranormal activity, no. I have to be under a blanket. Maybe maybe two or three. I got to take my chances. You're very risky. You're living on the edge. <laughs> I do. I live on the edge. One foot out the blanket at a time. <laughs> well, Christine just blames Nancy for the incident and tells her to cut it out. And then she tells her to also stop farting because it stinks. <laughs> Relatable. Which it seems like such a sisterly thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree that I liked that... Uh, you kind of get that throughout this whole movie. Like that's one thing that I think all these um, actors do well in the in the sister daughter role is you really do get the authentic feeling of like sisters mm-hmm. here. You know, from the teasing to yeah, the like whining and constantly telling somebody to stop messing with you or stop <laughs> stop farting because it stinks. It just it's all different age ranges of girls here, and and the sister vibes run very deep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next we see Roger has fallen asleep downstairs and is woken up to noises in the house. He then sees a door moving at the end of the hallway and goes to investigate. He finds a window open in the kitchen, but before he can close it, he hears knocking coming from upstairs. He now goes to investigate that and runs into Andrea on the stairs, who tells him the noise is being caused by Cindy, who apparently has a problem with sleepwalking and has found her way into Andrea's room. Well, when Dad gets upstairs, Cindy is banging her head over and over against a wardrobe. It's terrifying. I hate it. I mean, sleepwalking is already very creepy whenever you're the observer of it happening. Uh, But yeah, when you take it and you make it even creepier by having the person like incessantly run their head into it on you know object of any kind it's creepy i don't like it It, it's very creepy and and of course the wardrobe is like super old it was already in the house when they moved in it 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 looks like the entrance to narnia yeah and maybe that's what she's trying to do i I don't blame her this place is scary (laughs) i agree (laughs) narnia can be too well roger puts cindy to bed as andrea contemplates how she just wasn't annoying enough in that scene as a teenager (laughs) She should try harder to alienate those around her. Oh, maybe next time. We've got many more minutes to go. Well, the next morning, Roger tells Carolyn about Cindy sleepwalking and notices another bruise. He tells her to promise to see a doctor about it. I mean, what is a doctor going to do? I mean, I, I get it. Over a prolonged period of time, if you notice long... I mean, not prolonged, but... I mean, they just moved into the house. It's like been two days and she has some bruise it just seemed like a big jump to go to the doctor yeah yeah because what's he gonna say yes it's a bruise yeah well especially like in this scenario where they're like moving and stuff like well that's what i'm saying there was a lot of physical activity yeah yeah so uh, yeah immediately for me it would not be uh, you know 
something cause of concern, I'd just be like, dang, look, I got another bruise yesterday when we were moving. But yeah, when it started getting excessive, but just a couple, it, yeah, it was very like, I need you to go to the doctor and get this checked out. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we can put a Band-Aid on it or something. <laughs> I mean, I would not bump into anything. Uh, I mean, I don't want to discount anybody's fears. If you think it's something serious, by all means, please go get it checked out. Go to the doctor always. Do Why what you not? gotta do. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And when you're moving, don't bump into things. <laughs> don't bump into stuff or stay in a house where you're gonna get possessed. Yeah, that's, that's really what it boils down to. <laughs> exactly. These are life lessons we're giving you. You're all very precious cargo. We gotta take care of you. Make sure you eat too. Drink your water. <laughs> don't bump into things, okay? And don't play hide and clap. <laughs> oh god i don't think i could ever play i've never played hide and clap is that like a movie thing or have you ever heard of that oh i i don't i've never heard of it until this movie it's so effective it's very creepy it pretty much like ruined clapping <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just not a fan of it anymore i cannot go to the theater yeah yeah beforehand i loved a good clap you know why not <laughs> but now mm -mm. high-fiving fall into that category no that's different all right now, if they had high-fived a ghost in this movie, different. Then we would be having some issues today. But there's no high-fiving of the ghosts. Just creepy clapping games. All right. Well, I hope you work on that clapping thing. And I'm sorry. This movie came out in 2013, and I'm still traumatized I from clapping. So I, I, don't, I don't have high hopes of getting over it, but I appreciate the encouragement. Well, I'm here to support you. <laughs> well, Roger is off to work, and the older girls are off to school, and a pigeon is dying on the side of the house. A typical morning. It's fine. <laughs> Everything is fine and normal. Just go to the doctor about it. Also, this is not an animal-friendly home. Yeah. We should keep all animals away at this point. <laughs> I'm a little worried. They should put up signs. <laughs> no animals allowed. <laughs> I mean, pigeons can't read, but maybe there's hope. Somebody will pass them the message, I'm sure. Maybe somebody will send them a carrier pigeon. <laughs> took you a minute you got there that's I all that matters there. well this leaves carolyn and april the youngest at home alone april is upstairs having herself a tea party when carolyn goes to check on her she asks who she's talking to and april says it's her new friend rory and you can only see rory by playing the music box and looking behind you in its mirror in the lid until the music stops no april that's exactly not what we're gonna do <laughs> I'm going to need you to get a new toy, honey, because this one is going in the trash. Why are children so creepy? I... If I was with a small human being <laughs> that asked me to do these things, I would say, I'm going to talk to your mother because you need help. Yes. I'm Terrifying. Worried, and you're scary. <laughs> but apparently, yeah, this is exactly what we're going to do. So Carolyn starts playing the music box, and as it's playing... She thinks she can see something start to materialize in the mirror behind her. But boo! It's just April playing Surprise. a trick, scaring a mom. <laughs> Fuck you, April. <laughs> you can leave on the next train out of town with Andrea. Her little 16-year-old <laughs> attitude. <laughs> we don't need your pranks around here, kiddo. Things are already tense. 
Well, since a Rory sighting was a bust, we got to do something to make this day as terrifying as possible. Uh, so April insists they play the hide and clap game because no one will ever let her play. Probably because you're a little shit who likes to pop up and scare your moms. Nobody likes kids, April. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Grow up. Yeah, if I was if I was the mom and she just scared me like that and then asked me to play a game, I'd be like, no, I'm already mad. <laughs> You're going to go sit in your room in a corner for the next hour. My mom has a drink because that was a lot. You are a lot. <laughs> You're doing too much, kiddo. You were doing too much. Okay. Started looking at nannies. I did. I'm not, not afraid to say it. <laughs> just need a break. Just need a break from you. I'm being transparent here. I'm a little afraid of you, kid, and I need you to go play outside until dad comes home. Uh, kids are lovely. I just don't like it when they're creepy. I think that's that's a good hill to stand on. <laughs> I mean, I will stand firm. I've planted my flag. <laughs> King of my mountain. <laughs> well, they start playing the game, and Carolyn is stumbling blindly through the house and is following what she believes to be April's claps. This leads Mom into Andrea's room with that damn creepy wardrobe. As she's standing blindfolded in the room, the wardrobe doors open by themselves. Well, Carolyn asks for another clap, and we see two hands come from between the hanging clothes and clap twice. So Carolyn makes her way over to the wardrobe and sticks her hands between the hanging clothes, hoping to feel where her daughter may be hiding. But then she hears running up the hall behind her. So she takes off her blindfold just as April comes around the corner and says, Ha ha, you weren't even warm. I was hiding in Christine and Nancy's room. <laughs> you take your blindfold off, you lose. You were on thin ice, April. This is why nobody wants to play with you, April. Because <laughs> you're a sore winner. But if this is April... Who was in the wardrobe? Yeah, I really think the scene is super creepy. Oh, God, it's so good. It's so good because even when, you know, when she's like going in there, I, I think if I remember correctly, she says something like, uh, I can hear you breathing or something like that, yeah, or I can feel yeah. you breathing or something. And nope. Uh -oh. No, no, no. <laughs> that would be the moment I would take one of those fancy matches that dad took down to the basement and I would light that wardrobe on fire. No, no, no longer. Too many problems at this point. Nobody needs that problematic of a closet. Oh, it's it, it was a really really good scene. It really is. The this uh, wardrobe comes into play quite often in this movie. And again, I think it's something that this movie does well. Like like with the clapping, it takes these simple things. I mean, it, the whole closet thing uh, has always been scary. You know, think something standing in the dark in the closet, you know, or whatever. But the it's not even just that. It's this whole you know, uh, the door opening up by itself. And then what was it? Nancy does the sleepwalking and hits her head on it. It's just this kind of unassuming wardrobe. That's so fucking creepy for no reason. It doesn't have the right to be that creepy <laughs> as a closet. It's doing the most. Well, later that evening, Roger is back home and he learns he has to take a new truck route for work. That will keep him on the road for the next week. I'd be like, well, we're going on a road trip, kids. Jump in the truck. <laughs> we're going with dad. Let's take your family to work day. Papa, let's get on the road. Who wants to go to Florida? 
Well, later that night, back in Christine and Nancy's room again, someone is once again tugging on Christine's foot, and she again tries to blame it on Nancy. But when the foot pulling gets more aggressive, Christine wakes up fully to investigate and works up the courage to look under the bed. It's that fucking poltergeist scene all over again. You just know that damn clown is under there. I'm sorry. I just... I was not that brave as a kid. I don't like looking under my bed during the day. No. It just... The, the, she just looks under there all willy-nilly like, <laughs> not knowing the dangers and risks involved. I mean, she wasn't willy-nilly. She she was nervous. She was like she, a will and a nil, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it because it's not relatable. Okay, kids out here aren't just looking underneath their bed. Adults aren't out here looking underneath the bed. They aren't. I mean, that's when you wake up the person in the room or you do one of those running leaps where you jump like out of the mm -hmm. reach of what could be under there and yeah. run out the door and go get mom or dad yeah exactly at the very least if it's not a monster it's dirty under there we <laughs> all know it's dirty under there just leave it allergies so much dust oh yeah leave it alone well however christine discovers no one is there but her attention is now drawn to her open bedroom door which is slowly moving away from the wall i hate the scene i hate the scene it's so creepy christine swears she can see someone standing in the dark space behind the door but we can't see anything every single time i watch this movie i look i'm like there's got to be something this Turn time up the brightness. something will be there <laughs> we can't see a thing uh but she starts crying and calls out for nancy who wakes up Christine tells her she can see someone behind the door, but when Nancy looks, she can't see anyone. But Christine continues to insist someone is indeed there, and it's looking right at them. Ugh. So Nancy gets up and crosses to the door, even though Christine is begging her not to. Nancy gets to the door, moves it farther from the wall, and shows Christine, see, there's no one here. But Christine says, oh, my God, and points and says, it's right behind you. And as Nancy slowly turns to see if she can see whatever Christine sees, the bedroom door slams shut and sends both girls into hysterics. Me too. Oh, my God, it's so good. It's so creepy. I hate the scene. It's like, it's so well done, though. Again, there's not a whole lot to it. Like, you know, we have this kid staring into the dark there's nothing there that we can we don't know what she's seeing but i think that's the creepy part the fact that she's so uh does such a good job at like reacting mm -hmm. you know what i mean and portraying that fear it's just so good it's it, it's so easy to feed off of her emotions as the viewer in this part because there's just you can't nobody can tell me the scene isn't creepy if you if you tell me that i'm gonna say no and that's it and you have to take my word for it, because I already said it's creepy. And as someone who suffers from sleep paralysis, I know all about trying to explain what you're seeing that no one else can. Yeah. And me, as the other person, I still say no. <laughs> well, Carolyn and Roger come running in, and Christine swears that not only did she see something behind the door, but it spoke to her and told her it wants her family dead. I'm sure there was, like, a nicer message it could have chosen to portray. Or at least, you know, zhuzh it up a bit. <laughs> you know, like, you don't tell someone they're fired, you tell them they're terminated. Yeah. 
So that's what you just said. I want to terminate your family. There you go. It just seems like, oh, we have to get different jobs. That's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. We get it. You're you cool. know, it's I understand. The economy. We were really slacking as a family. It I was tough. Andrea's pulling us down in April. Whew, she's just creepy. And dad's left to go back to office space. So I know things are tight around here, kids. <laughs> well, next we switch back over to the Warrens and their chicken, Winston. Uh, Winston doesn't have a big role in this film, but he's white and fluffy, and I want to pet his overly fluffy head. I feel like uh, Winston should have had a little bit more time. Uh, he really should have. Because the small time that we spent with him, the thematics were incredible. I mean, that chicken out chicken the best of the chickens. Mm-hmm. That's what all the critics are saying. <laughs> yep. I have to agree with that. <laughs> You know, there are a few plot holes, but damn, that chicken really put this movie over the top for me. The movie may be a loser, but Winston <laughs> is the winner. Winner, winner, Winston dinner. Aww. Oh, no. Now we made it sad. Well, we see Ed tell Lorraine that he just needs to run to the store for a couple of things, but he's lying like a son of a bitch, and she makes him fess up that actually Father Gordon called and has a case he wants him to look at. She insists on going. Why you would want to leave Winston behind is beyond me. Uh, and knows that he's just trying to protect her from whatever happened at that exorcism. He says maybe it's time to take a break and write that book. But Lorraine says God put them together for a reason. And she's pretty sure it wasn't to write a book. You don't know that? Yeah, she says it pretty adamantly. I'm like, maybe you should try it. And you know, what's wrong with writing books? Books are cool. People love books. So I read. I don't understand why you're shitting on it and being like, this isn't what we were meant to do. Maybe it was. <laughs> books. Pff, book schmucks. Who reads books? <laughs> well, we see the Warrens conducting their investigation at some poor schlub's house, but it turns out what the homeowners are interpreting as ghosts is just water moving through the pipes. So now we have established that sometimes the Warrens are able to debunk things and don't just think everything's a ghost. That adds validity to our story. Or does it? <laughs> it's, there's really no twist there. No, okay. there's not. I just wanted to add some suspense. It was good drama. Thank you. I appreciated it. Well, back at the parents, mom is getting ready for bed, and we see that she's gone to the doctor, as instructed, about those bruises, and she has been diagnosed with an iron deficiency. Turns out, the bruises were indeed bruises, so. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. She just ran into some shit. <laughs> well, she thinks she hears one of the girls laughing and goes to check on them to make sure they're all in bed, and cut. Damn it if all the pictures in the hall don't come crashing down and scares the shit out of both of us as we were watching this. Yeah. I don't know why I don't remember any of these big jump scares. Because they're done so well. <laughs> you just mentally block them out. Well, Too frightening. I really think, and I think we talked about this earlier about the jump scares, and, and I really think part of that is, and what we talked about earlier was that James Wan does jump scares well in the fact that they're realistic and warranted. So I think you tend to forget about it because you, you know, when you watch those movies and it's like a hokey jump scare, like it's quiet and quiet and like a cat jumps down or something. You remember that every time mm -hmm. that scene comes, you're going to remember that that cat's going to jump down. Yeah. But when it's realistic and you're caught up in the moment and you're, you know, living within this house with this family and feeling the fears that they are, 
you forget because you're so caught up in those emotions in the heat of the moment within the house and because it's a realistic in a realistically timed scare I think as viewers we tend to forget because we're lost in in the world itself and not anticipating you know that that intense jump scare uh, absolutely yeah it's really well done uh it certainly got us and plus it was so loud I thought something had actually broken in our living room. Yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, what the hell? That is one thing we noticed, the sound on this movie. I mean, obviously the score and everything is crazy and everything's loud and intense and that's on purpose. Uh, But yeah, it was like very loud watching it in our house. Everything seemed so intense and... uh, I think you even made the comment of like, this isn't even as loud as we normally have it. Like, that's how loud it was. It just seemed we were there. We were being haunted while the movie was happening. And, you know, very effective. Exactly. Well, Carolyn goes to investigate, but can still hear what sounds like someone playing the clapping game somewhere in the house. We also hear the clock chime for 3 a.m. So we know some shit's about to go down in the next seven minutes. Things are about to get spicy. Spicy seven. (laughs) Well, she makes her way through the house and sees the closet door that leads to the newly discovered cellar is open. Carolyn starts downstairs and turns on the light. She yells, whoever's down there, I'm going to lock you inside if you don't come out. Sorry, I would not have given them that warning. No, you turn around, leave, lock the door, call police. Yeah, no, I'm not about to say, hey, come on up, big guy. Don't, don't make me count to three. Come on. (laughs) I'm going to lock you down here. Listen, cut it out. I don't have time for this. It's late. This is no time for games, tiger. (laughs) It's time for nine nine. okay? Get your wooby. Put your gun down. Get your wooby. Let's go. It's time for bed. I know you're fussy. No more water. We've done that twice. It's past your bedtime. Okay. <laughs> Love you, champ. <laughs> well, she turns to leave and the door slams shut on her face, knocking her down to the bottom of the stairs in the cellar. She's uninjured, but as she's looking around, a ball comes off a shelf and bounces across the floor, sending Carolyn screaming back up the stairs. But before she can get to the top, the light goes out and traps her in the dark. All of this is just my worst nightmare. Oh, oh God. Just the cellar alone. Exactly. No, thank you. I wouldn't be down there in the first place. Let me put that out there. But all of this, one thing after another, I was like, no, this is why you should have, all of this could have been preventable, ma'am. And I understand. I can't blame you, but also I can. And I feel like (laughs) you should have gone down here. And now it's scary. And now I'm scared because I'm scared for you and also scared of whatever else is in here. Yeah. And you might think, well, she heard someone clapping. It could have been one of her kids. No, you go do a head count. Say everyone is accounted for. We are in danger. (laughs) Could have been a lot easier. Now you've put yourself in danger. This is poor planning. And now you're locked down there, you goob. Come on. This is Sadie's revenge. Karma. Karma. Well, she finds those matches that Roger left and lights one, staring down into the darkness below her, terrified something will come charging at her from the inky blackness before her. Rightfully so. It's it just that shot. Just It's taken from behind her, and you just see her standing, and you can see like how dark it is. Ugh. Like She cannot see a foot in front of her face. It's and you, so scary. Ugh. And you just think something is going to come up. Well, the match goes out and she lights a new one just as someone asks, do you want to play hide and clap? 
as two pale hands come out of the darkness behind her and clap twice behind her head. I would die. Of course, I think everybody remembers that part from the trailer. So there was no big shock. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, that made me want to see this movie. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that that scene was definitely overplayed in the trailers, but it never loses its effectiveness to be creepy. I mean, even though you know it's coming, it's just, that's terrifying. Yeah, well, it gets a little more terrifying when you know the story behind it. You know, that this, you know, could be this Rory kid trying to play with her. Mm -hmm. So you know that this is a little uh, creepy ghost guy. Yeah. And uh, it's unsettling. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the shot now cuts out into the hall where we can see the closet door rattling as we know Carolyn is trapped inside, banging, trying to get out. Well, next, Cindy is back sleepwalking in Amanda's room again. How no one woke up when those fucking pictures fell? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it was so loud. How did no one wake up from that? And I don't know how she keeps getting in that room because I'm sorry, after that first night, no, no, no. I would move my bed in front of that door every damn night if that's what it took to keep her out of there. Agreed. But no, she just leaves it wide open with a sign that says, come on in, kiddo. The doors are ready for a head banging. And it's just, it's too much. It's asking too much of me and my soul. Puts on some Skrillets, gets some glow lights. She's like, mm, mm, we gonna get it. Well, Amanda gets up and puts her to bed, uh, in Amanda's bed. But as she's tucking her in, she starts hearing the wardrobe doors banging open and close. So what does she do? She walks over to investigate. Are you insane? No child would do that. No. Again, sister's not sleeping with me, okay? I don't care. I just, I would put her out in the hallway, close the door, and say, figure it out. (laughs) Put her out in the hallway, give her three dollars. Don't tell mom and dad and shut the door in her face. Exactly. If that's what it takes. I'm not. She's like, all right, you're going to sleep with me. No. Why? A, you kick. B, you have this weird sleepwalking thing. (laughs) And you bang your head. Absolutely not. No. I need a good night's sleep. And knowing you're in here is not going to provide that for me. So. Also, you borrowed my sweater and spilled something on it. Yeah. And I still hold that grudge. So, no. Sorry. You don't get to sleep with me. You get to go out in the hallway while I investigate this creepy closet by myself. Like an idiot. Well, Cindy is not out in the hallway. She's still on the bed because we see her sit up as Amanda approaches the wardrobe. It's, it's, un, it's, it's, why is it so scary? Uh, yeah, why, why would we want to lighten the load a little bit here? You know, <laughs> why not add some more scary shit to it let's get april in here and her little music box from hell that'll be fun (laughs) well she's busy sleeping and amanda rips the doors open to a whole bunch of her own clothing hanging in the closet but here's cindy gasp behind her she turns and sees cindy in the look of terror on her face and looks back at the wardrobe to see an old woman perched on top who now jumps down onto men <laughs> onto amanda who starts screaming so scary yeah i would be no there would be poop everywhere i would just <laughs> i would not be able to handle my poops in this situation i'm going to be honest and transparent with you guys and there, there would be poop everywhere uh, we have uh talked about your loose bowels before and uh i, I don't know why it's a subject we continue to return to 
What's funny is that that's literally I never happened to me, but I just feel like I know in these situations it was it will. I don't know why I feel so certain. Yes, but <laughs> I just know something scary will happen and you will just shit yourself. I just know that's going to be the day that my body decides all the control we had gone. Well, please make that a day we are running errands separately. <laughs> just I don't do well with smells. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Well, outside we see Roger has just returned home from his week-long truck haul, and he hears Amanda screaming and goes running into the house. Carolyn is finally able to bust out of the cellar, and the two of them go running upstairs to Andrea's room to find her wrestling on the floor with something that isn't there. Everyone is screaming and panicking, and Roger just wants to know what the hell is going on. So we don't know it yet. But we've just gotten our first glimpse at our antagonist. This is Bathsheba. So before we go on, I wanted to talk a moment about this film's score. I know this seems like a weird time to do that, but it'll make sense in a minute. So a very talented gentleman by the name of Joseph Bashara composed the music for this film. In fact, he's composed the music for all three Conjuring movies, all four Insidious movies, VHS Viral, Annabelle, Annabelle Comes Home, The Prodigy, and The Curse of La Llorona, just to name a few. So this man obviously knows what sounds scary. But what you may not know is that he also plays Bathsheba. What? That creepy old woman is actually composer Joseph Bashara. But wait, it gets better. He also plays the lipstick-faced demon in the Insidious franchise. I did know that fact. Uh, did you know that? Yes, but oh. not not the old lady. That is, yeah. that's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Also, kudos. He deserves all the kudos. For, oh, yeah. For the soundtrack. It just, this movie and, and Insidious, which one day we will cover, I'm going to make it happen. Uh, both of these uh, reign really uh, high in my head as far as like, the soundtracks and how effective they are with the movie whether mm. that be scary or not i mean just like we talked about earlier with the one scene with the family going through the house and getting moved in just i mean this that song alone it, it it was just so perfect for that scene there's another song that plays later on and i can't remember exactly the title of it but i remember when we saw it uh because we usually watch with subtitles because we're both terribly hard of hearing um <laughs> It, you know, it shows the title of the song. And as the song started playing, I was like, this is just so perfect. It's just one of those things that as somebody that always enjoys the soundtrack and the scores uh, of all these movies, I just immediately was like, yes, this is this is it. You nailed it. And so to be able to like pick the right songs and do these amazing <sighs> thematic scores, just hands down all the kudos. So good. And then to just play a random creepy asshole lady. Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. Add that to the resume. <laughs> Well, now we see the Warrens giving another lecture, only this time they're talking about exorcisms. We can also see the woman herself, the real Lorraine Warren, is in the front row of the audience, just on the left side of the screen as it pushes back through the audience. We also see that Carolyn is in attendance, and after the lecture, she approaches the Warrens and implores them to come and check out their house. Ed is inclined to say no, but she then appeals to Lorraine's softer side, and the Warrens agree to come and check it out. Next, we see the Warrens arrive, and Roger and Carolyn give them a tour explaining what they're experiencing. 
The family has taken to all sleeping in the living room. Everyone feels safer and it's warmer. The house is always freezing, but nothing appears to be wrong with the radiator. The rotting meat smell is still persistent. Doors have been secured shut with ropes so they don't bang at night. Birds fly against the house and break their necks. All the clocks still stop every night at 3.07, and the pictures have been permanently removed from the walls because they kept being removed by an unseen force. <laughs> they go down into the cellar, and Lorraine can sense something awful happened down there. Well, Ed begins interviewing Carolyn and Roger while Lorraine is interviewing April and asks if she can try and see Rory in the music box. She plays it and watches behind her, and for a brief moment, she catches a glimpse of a young boy in period clothing. Well, next, Lorraine goes outside and walks down to the pond on the property. Ed comes out to check on her, and when she turns around, she has a vision of a woman hanging from a branch of that ominous, creepy tree. The Warrens explain to Roger and Carolyn that they feel the house needs an exorcism, but they need authorization from the Catholic Church and further evidence before they can proceed. The Warrens return home and we see Judy has gotten her mom a matching set of lockets. Judy will wear one of them with their picture and Lorraine gets the one with Judy's picture. Ed plays the tape he made of Mr. and Mrs. Perrin, but Carolyn's voice was not picked up by the recorder. Lorraine then goes over what she found out about the property. Lorraine believes that the house once belonged to an accused witch named Bathsheba Sherman, a relative of Marytown Esty, who was one of the victims executed in the Salem witch trials. Bathsheba sacrificed her weak old baby to the devil and then committed suicide by hanging herself in the tree out back, cursing all who took her land. She was pronounced dead at 3.07 in the morning. She finds additional reports of numerous murders and suicides through the years in the houses that were all built on what would have been Bathsheba's original property, which of course includes the parents' house. Yeah, so basically at this point it's just setting up like every basic haunted story ever. That the ground is cursed and uh, we should all move. And yet nobody does. <laughs> nobody ever does. Of course, they claim it's just because they sunk all their money and they can't afford to move, and boy, do I get that. So they're just kind of stuck here, and uh, they need whatever help they can get. Well, next, the Warrens arrive back at the parents' house and start setting up. We meet two new characters that will be helping with the investigation, Drew, their regular assistant, and Officer Brad Hamilton, who's been brought in for comic relief, because he's the skeptic and we have to prove him wrong. So Drew is played by actor Shannon Cook, who you immediately recognized as Zane Park from Degrassi, The Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> every time, every time you see someone, you're like, Degrassi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm sure all these people have way, way more, you know, films and TV shows under their belt. But I'm like, oh, they're from Degrassi. That's all I know. <laughs> My knowledge only derives from Degrassi, the next generation, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Well, he does have other credits to his name, including some creepy ones. He was also in Dark Places, A Christmas Horror Story, and he plays Grant in the new Nancy Drew series. I don't... Did we... Have we seen that? Have we seen him in that? Yeah. Why do I not remember that at all? He's a main character. I love that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I do remember him yeah. now. Wow. It's, it's Nancy's little on again, off again. Yeah. That's right. But really, no. He, he's Zane. 
<laughs> it's Degrassi. Yeah, that's right. what it is. That's fine. He also like has not aged because he looks exactly the same. Just like Baby Drake. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we get a lovely montage scene of them setting up the house with all kinds of equipment. Cameras, flashes, bells, black lights, recorders, you name it. If it was available in the 70s, they got it buzzing and whirring in the parents' home. Well, next we see Ed, Officer Brad, and Roger outside by the tree setting up more cameras. Ed asks Roger about the old Chevy he's got on blocks, and Roger explains it needs a new carburetor, and he just hasn't gotten around to fixing it. Inside, Lorraine is talking to Carolyn and sees a picture of the whole family. Carolyn explains how it was a lovely trip to the beach when everyone was all happy, there were no cares in the world, and it's a memory she'll never forget. Well, over in the next room, Drew is flirting with Andrea and showing her how a blacklight works. He thinks it's far out and she thinks it's groovy. And the sparks flew. <laughs> Well, Ed comes in the room, and they all hear a bell ding and turn to see a door in the hall has opened. As they slowly approach to investigate, we see Officer Brad come out, flushing the toilet and wiping his hands. He's like, what? I had to go. (laughs) Oh, Officer Brad, thank you for your comedy in an otherwise very scary movie. You're the best. (laughs) Well, next, as Ed is finishing setting up, the door to the cellar opens on its own. So Ed heads down, but we've now switched over to the view of their Super 8 video camera. We've also switched to the audio of the tape machine that Ed is using, so some of the talking is wonky uh, when it's not right by the mic. So we can hear water running through the pipes and the radiator working, but aside from Lorraine getting a feeling down there, nothing much happens, so they go upstairs. Then the door slams right in front of them. And Officer Brad thinks it was just a draft. It's just, it's fine. Nothing to worry about. I mean, that's totally normal. That's fine. My doors open and close by themselves all the time. All the time. Auto doors, I call it. (laughs) I'm a very windy house, okay? (laughs) It's my new invention. Comes with fans. (laughs) My house has a lot of fans, okay? So get over yourselves. Brad does not talk like this, by the way, but he does now in my mind. (laughs) Well, next morning, the kitchen is bustling with activity and everyone is eating breakfast. Ed can see that Carolyn is having a rough time of it, so he offers to take care of the household chores so she can catch a nap. This is like full service paranormal investigating. Yeah. I mean, we've gone on paranormal investigations before and have never offered to do anyone's laundry. Yeah, and I probably won't. I don't plan on doing it in the future. I mean, if they really need help, I will. But I'm just saying it's not (laughs) going to be on my top to-do list for me to offer. If they ask, okay, but I'm not going to put it out there. And if the house is haunted, I'm definitely not. Because I will have to stay in the house to do it, and that's not going to happen. I will maybe like take them to my house, fold them, and drop them off at your porch. Well, that's that's like another trip. That's a lot. I'd Anything rather just get to it keep all me done. away from the ghosts. <laughs> what if the laundry was haunted and it came home with you? Well, then that's a different story. And then we would have a sequel called The Laundering. <laughs> <laughs> all the ghosts are dressed in sheets. <laughs> well, everyone leaves for the day and Lorraine is outside hanging laundry and she tells Ed they've just got to help this family. Well, the wind starts to pick up and Lorraine starts to collect the sheets before it starts raining. 
but as she reaches for one, it flies off the line and hits something that stops and appears to be the outline of a person. But when it flies away, there's nothing there. Then the sheet is blown onto Carolyn's bedroom window, only to be blown away moments later to reveal Bathsheba standing in the window, who then turns and walks towards Carolyn's bed. I I love this little scene. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's while the effects whenever the sheet goes against the person or the person figure is not my favorite, just because I think it's a little cheesy. I love the transition of the sheet flying up to the window, and mm-hmm. that's how we present Bathsheba. It's very creepy. Yeah, I, I thought the whole transition was really cleverly done. And yeah, it's a CGI thing, but I still thought it was super effective and really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I like how that leads up to Lorraine having to like rush up there. Mm-hmm. And you have that moment of not knowing what's going on in that room. It's very right. creepy. Right. Well, we cut to that room and we see Carolyn napping in bed and we see bruises form on her arm that look like finger marks, but it's that damn iron efficiency, I'm sure. Well, Carolyn wakes up screaming with her mouth wide open. It's, I mean, it's its just a horrifying visual. Mm-hmm. She just kind of goes all tense with her head tilted back and it's just her mouth is agape and it's just, it's this weird throaty scream Mm -hmm. Ugh, it's just unpleasant Uh, but then it gets worse because we see Bathsheba now float right on top of her and pukes bile into her mouth literally the worst what a lovely thing to happen Uh, nope Mm -mm. it's not cute like when a baby does it I mean it's really not cute when a baby does it (laughs) but everybody laughs and goes (laughs) you just got that all in your mouth but I mean, this is bad. That's not good news. I hate it. Well, Lorraine comes running upstairs and can hear Carolyn now in the bathroom throwing up, but she can't get in the door. So Lorraine goes around to the entrance through another room, but Carolyn opens the door just as she arrives and says, she's fine. Everything's fine. I I just woke up with a little nausea. It's nothing to see here. Nobody just threw up in my mouth. Nope. What are you talking about? There is no bile on my chin. (laughs) I am perfectly okay. I've never been better. I'm so well rested. I'm ready to have a good day. This happens every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) It's my cleansing. Wacky Wednesdays. (laughs) Well, the rest of the family arrives back home and Roger discovers Ed just working on his old Chevy. What a nice guy. Laundry. (laughs) Doing the car work. I mean, he is Mr. Fix-It. There's a problem. Call Ed. (laughs) And he hopes Roger doesn't mind, but he found a good deal on a carburetor that he couldn't pass up. Well, you know what, Ed? I do mine. (laughs) Fix the ghosts and get the fuck out. Don't make me feel like I'm failing at everything, okay? You fucking demon-loving freak. But also at the same time, leave the carburetor. If you could. I I mean, that was a very nice gesture, sure. I appreciate it. Money's tight. (laughs) I have to take this long, week long. I'm away from my family. (laughs) But really get out, Ed. <laughs> She's making me look like an ass in front of my kids. I won't tolerate it. Well, anyway, we finally learn what happened to Lorraine during that exorcism. Well, kind of. Ed tells Roger that when she grabbed onto the possessed man that they were exercising, she got a glimpse of something so disturbing that she locked herself in her room and wouldn't talk or eat for eight days. He doesn't know what she saw, and he won't ask. 
Well, later that night, we see Officer Doofus go to get himself some more coffee. He thinks he sees something outside, but when he goes to investigate, there's no one there. But when he backs away from the door, a woman dressed as a maid can be seen in the mudroom off to his right. She holds out her wrist to Brad and says, Look what she made me do. But when he goes to help her, she's gone. At least he thinks she is. She then appears right next to him and screams in his face, Look what she made me do! (laughs) Well, he's freaking out as everyone runs in to check on him. And down the hall, we see Cindy has started sleepwalking again. It's like, oh, everything at once, really? (laughs) Uh, And she is headed upstairs, setting off the cameras as she goes. This somehow lets Ed know that something is walking with her, because I guess somehow the cameras are set up to only take pictures if a spirit is present, and that just people walking wouldn't do that. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure what kooky science this is, but whatever, it's still (laughs) creepy. Uh, we see Cindy go into the room with the wardrobe and the door slams shut behind her. This sends Roger upstairs to try and get in, but the door is locked. So Dan runs over to check the live recorder that's set up in the room and can hear someone talking. It's Rory telling Cindy where she can go to hide. Roger and Ed finally get into the room, but Cindy is gone. They bring that far-out groovy black light into the room and use it to track Cindy's footprints. They see they lead into the wardrobe, so Ed moves all the clothes and finds a hidden panel in the back that leads to a space between the walls where he finds Cindy. April, still being a creepy little fuck holding her evil music box, tells Lorraine, "'That's where Rory hides when he's scared. "'Do you want me to run this music box over with my car?' (laughs) "'No.' Then you will stop doing creepy shit and go back downstairs and watch episodes of H.R. Puff and stuff like normal children of the 70s. And get some less creepy fucking toys. You know what? I'm still taking the toy. I'm still pissed. (laughs) It's probably a collector's item. I will keep it. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Lorraine goes into Rory's hiding place between the walls. You could not pay me enough. No. Spiders. Dirt. Dead boys. Scary things. Very frightening. No way. Lorraine takes April's creepy fucking music box. Thank you. Please do not give it back to her. uh, And can see where it used to sit from its void in the dust. She also finds the rope, complete with tied noose, that Bathsheba used to hang herself. Uh, I'm not sure what the point of the scene is, other than to prove that April, although creepy, is not a liar, and this is indeed Roy's hiding place, but... I, I, I mean, I think we got that. We, yeah. We got it. We believe it. We didn't have to go through the... It, this just seemed like a little much, but I guess it was just some way to get Lorraine in here because she breaks a floorboard, which causes her to crash like 20 stories down to the cellar. Yeah. Even though it's a two-story house, three if you count the cellar, she falls for so long. Yeah, there's hidden floors she didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, is this house of leaves? Where is she going? Yeah, she's just going to hang out. <laughs> well, anyway, Lorraine ends up in the cellar along with Rory's music box. She plays the box and uses it to look behind her where she sees a very hefty woman holding Rory's dead body, weeping and saying, she made me do it while holding a bloody knife. 
Lorraine starts to come out of the spot where she landed, but in front of her, Bathsheba's hanged body appears, and Lorraine is staring at the back of her feet, hovering about two feet off the ground. So creepy. Bathsheba then begins to slowly turn. Nope. And rushes at Lorraine. Lorraine jumps up and tries to make a run for the stairs, but Bathsheba gets a hold of that locket Judy gave her and pulls her back by the neck. The locket's clasp breaks, and Lorraine is able to get to the stairs and out of the cellar. She tells Ed that she knows what Bathsheba is doing. She possesses the mother to kill the child, and she's been trying to possess Carolyn, and that's what's been causing the bruises. Well, all hell breaks loose and crosses start flying all over and something can be seen lifting young Nancy's hair. Nancy is then pulled into the air by her hair and thrown around the room. This scene is shot so incredibly well. Mm -hmm. It it does this fantastic thing. We get another one shot that's, that's a little bit longer than you'd expect. But in that one shot, you see Nancy you know, being thrown through three different sides of the room, but they shoot it in a way that you can tell the first pass is a stunt person. The second one is the actress where we can see her face. And then the third one is another stunt person, but that's all one shot. Mm-hmm. And it it's really well done. Yeah. I really enjoy this scene. It's, it's thoroughly creepy. She gets thrown around like a rag doll. It is crazy. Well, finally, Lorraine jumps in with scissors and cuts Nancy's hair, ending the episode. I'd be a little mad. I'd be pissed. I'd be like, could you not just, you know, grab at what was pulling on me? Did we have to do this? (laughs) You're like a clairvoyant. Couldn't you have just said, like, hey, cut it out? (laughs) I mean, don't cut it out. That's what we're trying to avoid. (laughs) Well, the parents decide enough is enough and head out to stay at a hotel. Why did it take them so long? I don't know. I mean, I would have been like, here's the keys. Ed, Lorraine, do your thing. We will be at the Holiday Inn. Yeah. Well, Ed tells Roger he'll get the film developed that they captured of Nancy's wild hair ride and show it to Father Gordon to try and get permission for an exorcism on the house. Lorraine goes down to the dock of the pond behind the house and has a vision of her daughter Judy floating in the water. This freaks Lorraine out, terrified that something is wrong, but when she calls home... Judy is fine. Well, the Warrens go to speak with Father Gordon, who finds the film compelling, but is worried about getting involved because none of the girls are baptized and they aren't members of the church. So why should we help? Yeah, why not? I mean, why would we? There's there's no need. (laughs) They'll be fine. They'll figure it out. (laughs) You told them about, like, the Bible and stuff, right? Okay. (laughs) Just drop one off. They'll figure it out. Just give them $3 and put them out in the hall. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. (laughs) well ed is finally able to convince him uh to contact the vatican to get the approval pushed through well next we see the warren's daughter judy has been woken up by a storm and something pulling on her foot Uh uh-oh bathsheba has become mobile and has jumped to the warren's home so judy gets up to see if her parents have returned home they haven't but the door to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men is mysteriously open now. Remember, we talked about possibly getting a storage room. This is what can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that Annabelle is missing from her glass case. 
The house then goes dark and scary, and Judy runs into the den and shuts the door, trapping her in a room where we see Bathsheba sitting in a rocking chair with her back to us, holding Annabelle, whose head slowly turns to look at Judy. Terrifying. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, not my favorite. (laughs) Well, Judy screams out for her Nana, who's just sleeping through all of it. These people are the soundest fucking sleepers. Well, meanwhile, Ed and Lorraine are on their way back home, and Lorraine can sense that something is wrong. They rush into the house, and Ed busts down the door to the den, pulling Judy out of the way just before the rocking chair comes crashing into the doorframe where his daughter had been standing. She says she saw someone sitting in the chair with Annabelle, But when Ed goes into his museum to check, Annabelle is still locked up tight in her protective case. Well, back at the parents' hotel, Drew and Roger pull up from getting groceries, only to find all the girls screaming that Carolyn has taken Christine and April and the station wagon and gone back to the house. Oh yeah, and she smelled like rotting meat, which is just rude. I mean, this is a high-stress situation, (laughs) and people's bodies react differently. To high anxiety. Yeah. Sometimes your tummy gets upset. Andrea, fucking attitude. Be nice. (laughs) Come on. You don't get a shit on your mom like that. (laughs) So Roger calls Ed and tells him to meet him at the house. Ed wants Lorraine to stay home, but she says, uh, shotgun. (laughs) So the couple heads back to the house, escorted with lights and sirens by Officer Brad, who has to use his shotgun on the door when they arrive to gain entry to the home. When they get to the basement, Carolyn is actively trying to stab Christine with scissors. April runs upstairs to hide while Roger and Ed get Carolyn under control and try to get her out to the car to take her to Father Gordon for the exorcism. But when they get to the front door, her skin starts to burn and Lorraine says Bathsheba won't let her leave. This means Ed is going to have to perform the exorcism himself because Father Gordon isn't going to be able to get here on time to help her before Bathsheba kills Carolyn. He insists that Lorraine has to leave for her protection, but she says that this is the reason God brought them together, and she's staying. This is better than a book. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely uh, more eventful in person. And you could write a book about this. Exactly. I'd read it. Well, Drew gets Christine outside and locks her in the station wagon and goes back inside to find April. Meanwhile, Bathsheba is tossing Carolyn around like a rag doll and gets her back in the cellar for the final showdown. It takes four adults to get Carolyn under control, enough to put a sheet over her head and tie her to a chair, but not before she takes a nice chunk of flesh out of Officer Brad's face. Not looking so pretty now, Brad, are you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nah, Brad's cool. He's cool. He's fine. He's cool. Everything's going to be fine. The exorcism begins as Drew is still searching for April in the house. Ed throws holy water on Carolyn. Uh, that does not go over well and causes a mini earthquake and a scene out of Hitchcock's The Birds as hundreds of crows start dive bombing the house. It's so creepy. <laughs> it uh, It's so unsettling. Things got real. Yeah. Real quick. This is the real world. <laughs> Before it, MTV did it, this is it. This is it right here, man. The stuff they couldn't show. And it is the true story. 
Well, meanwhile, Dan thinks he can hear April and believes she is trapped under the floor in the kitchen. So he takes a fireplace poker and starts tearing up the linoleum to get at her. Downstairs, the exorcism is continuing pretty unsuccessfully. (laughs) And the sheet tears on Carolyn's face and we can see she keeps changing from Carolyn to Bathsheba's face. Ed is screaming at her in Latin until everything in the house just goes silent. Stopping Ed mid-sentence. We focus on Carolyn as her body has gone limp in the chair. Soon her body and the chair begin to rise in the air. The chair flips over and slams into the ceiling, breaking and dumping Carolyn back onto the ground. Roger runs over and is yelling at her to give him his wife back, but she just turns to him and says, She's already gone, and now you're all going to die. That sounded more like a pirate. (laughs) Arg. I like to picture her as a pirate now. (laughs) Well, then she gave him scurvy. (laughs) Different movie, but still could be creepy. (laughs) Well, right after that, Brad's shotgun falls over from where he had left it against the wall and shoots at them. So they all scatter across the, uh, the cellar. So upstairs, Drew is still trying to get to April. And when he does, he screams out that he has found her. But this just lets Bathsheba know where the girl is, and she, as Carolyn, takes off through the walls to try and kill her. She catches up to the girl and immediately tries to stab her with those scissors. How'd she get them back? I don't know. Did they not take them away? It's like, obviously you're attached to these. (laughs) If it gives you some sense of security, you may keep the scissors. These are my security scissors. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) But Ed yells out, Bathsheba! By the power of God, I condemn you back to hell. And that's enough time for her to be distracted. And Lorraine, who's upstairs, is able to reach down from the heavens and put a hand on Carolyn's head and yells, This is your daughter! You can't give in! It's very dramatic. It is. They tell Roger they have to convince Carolyn to fight from within. And he says, The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I don't care. (laughs) no he doesn't say that but he does seem pretty lackluster (laughs) about the whole thing he's kind of like no carolyn don't do this no yeah i really like this scene because uh you know despite all the dramatics and the maddox's you know everybody's screaming and there's a lot of things going on and there's a light that comes on during the scene that i'm not a huge fan of just because i kind of think it makes it a little cheesy Mm -hmm. but how they did Carolyn's face in this scene is super creepy. I love the eyes. I love the screaming mouth and how, I mean, she truly looks like she's in agony and something is really deeply rooted in her body and is trying to release itself. And, and I think she does this, this part really well and it's effective in, in giving you one last push of creepiness as this thing leaves her body. And uh, that I can enjoy in the scene uh, visually, you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff happening that can be a little bit cheesy overall, but I, I really do uh, enjoy the makeup and everything that's happening in this scene. It's very effective. Yeah, you know, and Lily Taylor just knocks it out of the park, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. course. Anything she does, I'm such a fan of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course, Roger's half-assed effort isn't helping, so Lorraine says uh, to Carolyn, remember what you showed me. And helps her relive that special day on the beach when they took that family photo. And this is enough to reach her and Carolyn begins to weep and then throws up and she's gone. 
It's a tad anticlimactic. It was probably just food poisoning. Well, that's what I thought. Little bad Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'll cause a possession every time. Yeah, it's rough. It can you, be rough. You gotta get it out <laughs> as yeah. quickly as possible. Don't hold on to that shit. <laughs> do not. Well, of course, in the end, all of our characters do their hero walk out of the house as everything is now fine and dandy and all wrapped up in a bow. By the way, how many people would be able to trust their mother after that? Oh, no. I brought that up while we were watching. I was like, think about all the things you can now get away with because you get to hold this over her head. It is a get-out-of-jail-free card for the rest of their lives. (laughs) These girls are going to be like, remember the scissors thing? (laughs) Yeah, that was uncool. Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting that you're trying to make rules now, Mom. (laughs) Because remember that one time you tried to stab me in the basement with the scissors? (laughs) Remember when you held me inside the walls of our home (laughs) and uh, you held me hostage with scissors? Remember that, Mom? Ringing the bell, Mom? Yeah, I think I'll be staying out an hour later. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, we'll we'll pretend that didn't happen. That's fine. (laughs) Well, we see little creepy April walk over to Lorraine. She's found her locket and returns it to her. The parents are all huddled on the ground in a giant family group hug. And Roger and Ed share a manly head nod. Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of like, that's right. We did things. (laughs) Thanks for saving my family. No, thank you for having a family. I'm still keeping that carburetor. (laughs) In our final shot, Ed and Lorraine return home as Ed adds the parents' music box to his deadly collection. Still, storage space, dude. At least get a shed out back. You know, put some separation there. I picture that he like went into his daughter's room and like showed her and was like, look at this fun toy I brought. Yeah, I just got it. (laughs) I just got it from this family's house. The girl said it was so much fun. No, don't touch it. (laughs) Don't even. I know it looks fun. I'm going to go put it in the bear room. Do not touch it. Be sure to clean out your scorpion cage, honey. It's fine. Lorraine comes back in and she says that Father Gordon called with the good news that the exorcism was approved. Thank goodness. <laughs> I guess that means they won't get fined by Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just in the nipple of time, you know? <laughs> well, she also says that he has another case for them to check out in Long Island that he'd like to discuss. And for those savvy watchers who know about the Warrens' history, then you know this is in reference to the Amityville horror case. But that is a whole other movie for a whole other franchise. Well, our movie ends with a quote from the real Ed Warren that says, quote, Diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists. And for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow. The camera pans over and slowly pushes into the music box, which is now playing with the lid open as we stare at its reflection, pushing closer and closer as the music stops and the screen goes black. So good. Such a good ending. So good. It's great because you expect that last jump scare. Mm -hmm. You know it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't get it. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Again, it just goes back to James's use of, of jump scares. I don't know. He just does it so well. We've talked about this before about, uh, you know, how that's not our favorite uh, 
anything to be used in horror movies, you know, as mm-hmm. far as getting that fear factor out of us. But he just does it so well and does it in spots that you don't always expect it. And then when you're thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those cheesy jump scares. This is going to be the last final one. You know, they've got to get it in. Nothing. You don't get it. And I think that's so good. It keeps us guessing. And we, yeah. we're just never quite sure which direction he's going to go. But every time he does, it's just it's chef's kiss. So yeah. good. Yeah. He, he did phenomenal job. Well done. Well, then I guess we got to get to some prompts. Yes. All right. So what was your popcorn spiller? Uh, for me, is it was easily the the pics flying off the wall. Mm. Whenever that uh, scene, just because it, that scene is already so suspenseful, you oh, know, yeah. she was, was like doing laundry, and and to me that kind of plays into that whole uh, psychological thing where you're home alone and uh, you know things start getting in your head, and you're like, what? What was that? I swear I heard something. You start investigating, and when you're you know paying attention to one thing that's when something else can happen and and, Mm -hmm. you know it's not even always in that scary situation you know it could be at your own home and then you know just like the dog snores but that scares you because Mm -hmm. you've worked yourself up yeah and it is dead quiet in this scene she's walking through the house there's no underscored music yeah she's just walking through checking on her kids trying to figure out where this noise is coming from and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you get this loud crashing Mm -hmm. sound and it's it's super effective. Yeah. If I would have been eating popcorn, it would have been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I, I could have picked this one, too. I pick a jump scare. that They are all so effectively done. Mm-hmm. And, and they used it in conjunction with other scary things. The suspense in this is great in, in a lot of these moments. And it's just, it's so well done. It's not just jump scares for jump scares. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing you're using to scare your audience. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I've got to go with that second door pounding at the beginning oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the Annabelle portion. Mm-hmm. It, it was so unexpected. It, it's, it comes right at the beginning in the movie and sets the tone for the whole movie. Yeah. It lets you know exactly what you're in for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good. It's it good. is really good. Yeah. And like you said, it being so close to the beginning, you know, a lot of times with horror movies, they take a lot uh, a lot of time at the beginning to kind of set stuff up and really amp you up for it. So, yeah, as the viewer, you're 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 not settled yet. Mm-hmm. You're not comfortable in in you know where you are with the characters and where the plot's going. So you're still kind of on the edge of your seat just because you haven't sunken into the movie yet. And then right before you do, bang bang bang, scares the shit yeah. out of you. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I'll, I'll, like we said, they're just all done so well. So who was your scene stealer for this movie? Well, I really wanted to say Winston the chicken, but (laughs) he just wasn't in it long enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, normally I'd have to go with Lily Taylor. I I adore her and everything she's in. And she did phenomenally well in this. Mm -hmm. She did really well, as always. But really, it was it was Vera Formiga for me mm-hmm. as Lorraine. Yep. If you have ever seen any footage of the actual Lorraine Warren, uh, her mannerism, the way she speaks, I, I really think she nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually who I ended up choosing as well. But sort of differently for me because uh, I think that this Lorraine is is really likable, and not that the you know actual real Lorraine Warren is is dis dislike unlikable, whatever. But this one, I just think she's so, she does a good job of endearing herself to you as, and she's not coming in and being hokey in mm-hmm. this movie. And I think that that's important, especially when we're dealing with, 
you know, what can be sometimes really fantastical themes and you've got to have, you know, somebody that can kind of ground you and you have to be endeared towards someone. And it's not always done well with movies um, in, in clairvoyance. A lot of times they can be overdone and they're wearing, you know, a lot of jewels and, and robes and they've got this whole accent going on and they're here to sell you their their theories and thoughts and everything. But she's it's just so natural and she does it well and and yeah I I agree just Vera Formiga in in this role I think just just nails it I love I love the character uh and I love that we get to see a uh you know a more I don't know just it, it she just does this Lorraine differently from footage of what I've seen of of the actual Lorraine Warren and like I said not that she's unlikable at all uh this she I guess it's just because she seems a little bit more down to earth I think she had like a little bit like a motherly presence yes and I think that's what you don't get when you're seeing like those interviews or those lectures and stuff why, yeah, you why don't would have she, the opportunities yeah sure. why would she be motherly in, in these lectures mm-hmm. but this one yeah you get that role of seeing her with her daughter but I also just love how much she really cares for this family like you can tell she wants to fix it for this family and I I enjoyed just every time she would come on the screen and everything I enjoyed kind of watching her reactions to things and she was always very good about doing something in the background like down Mm -hmm. in the basement whenever they were down there filming while she was not the main person because she wasn't carrying around the mic and the headphones and stuff uh she was still I was noticing her in the background kind of wringing her hands and obviously getting very nervous Mm -hmm. and it's easy to kind of lose that when you're not the one who the scene is mainly focusing on but she just did it well and I just love it so that was both of our scene stealer she's stealing all the scenes she stole it all (laughs) all right well what did you have for your gorgasm uh well for me it was the bite to the officer's face (laughs) oh yeah that's because it's literally the only gory only gory thing yeah that we have going on in this movie but i do really like it there's that kind of spurt of blood and you kind of see the skin stretch it's Mm, effective and creepy it's a good practical effect Mm -hmm. yeah so while that was really my only option i think it's a good option to choose it's not my favorite i don't want to be bit in the face so (laughs) i think that's gory and gross uh well you know i didn't even think it was bad enough to qualify as Mm -hmm, gore mm -hmm. uh although i suppose it is uh so i had to go with what i thought was kind of the best special effect Mm -hmm. and that for me was that scene uh where the sheet comes off the line i i know it was a little cheesy with a little bit of that cgi but i thought it was still good enough it certainly wasn't haunting 1999 cheesy Mm. i mean that is like the worst of the worst yeah uh, but this was still done very effectively and, and kind of not what you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see the wind is picked up and a storm is coming in. Uh, and so she's collecting this laundry and, and you're mostly kind of worried about the storm. So mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was well done. Yeah, I agree. That scene is super effective. So normally up next would be our memorable mortality, but we struggled with this one. Uh, yeah, because no one dies in this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all the dead people were already dead when mm-hmm. our movie starts, so we can't really have a memorable mortality, but a lot of our characters were put in perilous situations that could have caused their death. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to kind of go with what's your best bust up kind of thing. Like, like what was the best thing when someone was in parable and possibly could have died? So, yeah. So for me, I kind of used it as like 
the best sort of like beat down moment mm-hmm. and i ended up choosing nancy's scene where she's like being thrown around the house 100 percent. that's what i got too yeah it's just that being pulled by the hair and just not and it's so chaotic everybody's screaming and roaming around the room trying to figure it out and everything and it's just it's so like you said originally with the one shot thing it's how it's done is very impressive and then just the creep factor of the scene i think is really well done yeah that's that's absolutely why i chose it as well it it just and honestly it looks like they fuck her up (laughs) i mean it's just being thrown around i mean talk about some bruises Mm -hmm. afterwards she's gonna be banged up pretty good uh, yeah, mine is strictly from a film enthusiast point of view. Yeah. I, I just so love uh, the technical things that went into that. Yeah. That had to be just incredibly complicated to choreograph and uh, get just right to, to pull that off. Uh, but man, they did it. Mm-hmm. it. It was great. It was really well done. Well, that brings us to our big giant question which I think we're pretty sure we know what the answer is, but I gotta ask it. Vault? Or are we leaving it in the dead zone? I think this one should go in the vault. Oh my god, yeah. I, I, I can't not put it in the vault. Yeah. It's so good. It's it's a modern day classic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I think, um, you know, for a lot of people, sometimes this, the uh, Conjuring universe can get a little muddled and get a little crazy. And I think that's just because a lot of people attribute more movies to the actual Conjuring universe than it actually is a part of that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you can set that aside just because this movie is so well done. And, and I don't think it, it definitely leaves it open to all these different movies. And in this movie drops a lot of hints and a lot of Easter eggs and foreshadows for the future stories that do eventually come. Mm-hmm. Um but I also think it kind of ends in a way that's acceptable. Like, it, to me, this could have been a one-off, and sure. I'd be fine with it. Yeah. And and so if you can do that effectively, and, you know, sometimes horror movies, they do. They leave you wanting more. Um, and not that this didn't. It wasn't like I was like, well, that's good. I'm done. But for it to be able to be wrapped up all in one setting and leave you um, feeling scared but also satisfied and, you know, happy for the family and happy for how things turned out, I think that's well done. And I think this movie nails it and the fact that every time you watch it you can notice different things and uh you know to me every time I watch it the soundtrack the score the effects still hold up and not that this was a long ago movie or anything Mm -hmm. but you know things do can age poorly sometimes especially when it comes to like CGI and everything but this one it it just it's so well done it does all the things correctly it it does it does it most things correct are there some issues with this movie Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but nothing that uh, was enough to take away from just having the absolute best time. Every time I watch this movie, it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun with how well done it is, the performances, you know, the jump scares, as we've talked about, ad nauseum. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're just, it's, we had a good time. And, yeah. and you know, the plot holes, all that stuff, the the backstory and stuff that I have a hard time getting over with the falsities there. If I just am going to judge this on a movie alone, it's a damn good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 19 is in the can. In the can. We are two episodes away from 20. We're doing it. Two. One. We are one episode away from 20. Who needs to count? We just know we're getting there. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Dead Zone on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone drive-in sticker for free. That's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. And then lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching the 1999 box office hit with one of the most iconic twists, The Sixth Sense. So head down to the show notes for a link to check out that trailer. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for delivering our mail as a singing telegram. Who knew hearing my water bill sung to me in B-flat would be such a bop? I'm actually going to pay it this time. (laughs) Just for that. And remember, if you're looking for The Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. And for those of those... For those of those that be thousand... (laughs) That was about that. (laughs) For those of those who go there and then... That's the story of this and that. (laughs) And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.